welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 5th of October 2014, entitled The Believer's Great Hope, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to chapter 4, verse 6. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. This is our third in the series on The Believer's Great Hope. The Believer's Great Hope. We're going to take our reading this evening from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. He says, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as evil as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead, for for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Father, we thank you this evening, Lord, for the glorious privilege that we have to come together. Lord, for the freedom that we have to meet here this evening, for this place that you've made possible for us, for each one that has come forth here this evening to gather together Lord, that you might be the very center of the attention of everything that we do here today and that all that we do may bring glory and honor to you. Thank you for your word that we have before us. 
Thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within. And Father, now we pray that, Lord, though that we realize that in the flesh we are nothing, we are but weak vessels, but I pray that this evening as you see and clearly understand the hearts of each one under the sound of this message this evening, I do pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts as only you can. Lord, I pray that you would receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. These few Sunday evenings that we've been looking at this thought, and I said to you as I have in some other sermons of late, and I certainly as we begin to look here that, I mean, even as you see the scriptures that we've read this evening, there is so much there, but our purpose in looking at this in just a brief overview is because really the entire book of 1 Peter is really a book about hope in the midst of all the suffering and all the things that are going wrong and all the, the problems that we have in life. It's a message of hope. And we saw as we looked first of all in chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 10 that our hope is established in our great salvation. That's where it begins. Without Jesus Christ, without being established in that salvation, then there is no hope. We can look around, we can try to find hope in this world, but there's no way that it'll be a true and lasting hope. We saw, secondly, not only is our hope established in our great salvation, but secondly, in chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 12, that our hope is exemplified in our lives before others. When Jesus Christ comes in, God in heaven knows that when I look in the mirror, that I am fully, fully, fully aware of just how great that God's grace really is. I know better than anybody else how far that I am away from what one day he's going to make me to be. But I'm saying that when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, folks, there is a change. He says we are a new creation. We find that we found that our lives should be an example before others. Others ought to see Christ in our lives. Our hope is established in our great salvation. It is exemplified in our lives before others. And tonight, I just want to really summarize and give you this simple thought that our hope is essential in the midst of suffering. You know, Christians get discouraged sometimes. God never promised us that if we would just become a Christian and take on that tag that there'd be no problems. He never promised us that there wouldn't be some difficult days. But I, again, I think it was Brother Paul I was sharing with before the service that, you know, I, honestly, I can't remember, and I'm not a young guy anymore. I'm not going to tell you my age. My birthday's tomorrow, so you can guess it if you want to. But there's been many years since the days that I first came into the ministry, and I don't remember a time that I have seen so much true sickness and attacks upon people physically and bodily as I have in this last year, year and a half or so around us here. So many people discouraged. So many people trying to find the answers of why, why, why. Well, we're fighting a great enemy. And I believe as sure as I am standing here tonight, folks, we are getting closer by the moment that trumpet is going to sound and Jesus Christ is going to return and we're going to be out of here. <laughs> 
They'll be trying to figure it out. I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, I can just read the headlines. They'll probably be blaming it on the, the aliens out there somewhere that's come and, and kidnapped all of us and zapped us away or something. But praise God. God's going to send forth 144,000 Jewish evangelists to tell them exactly where we are and where they are. That day is close. The devil's fighting hard. Why does he tell us, I mentioned this morning, when he tells us very simply not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some men like some are. He says, but exhorting one another. <laughs> and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be strengthening and encouraging one another in these things. And this evening, as we look at these verses here, I want to encourage you, I want to give you three simple points as we look here. That our hope, that hope that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is essential for us in the midst of our suffering. First of all, we find here just in these first few verses that we read, in verses 13 to 17 of chapter 3, I want you to notice that he gives us here the very principle in suffering. And who is he that will harm ye? if you be followers of that which is good. Well, you know, even in society, most of the time, even if they don't like your reasons, even if they don't like your, your Christian ideas, most of the time they'll kind of take it if you're doing something good for humanity. If you're doing something good that's helping people, as long as you stay away from the message of it. Who is he? that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good. But notice what he says next. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. If you're suffering for righteousness' sake, if you're suffering for that which is right. If you're suffering for that which is godly, for that which is holy, he says, you know, if you're suffering for the right things, happy are you. How can you be happy if you're suffering? Well, first of all, we have to admit, all the suffering we have in our lives is not somebody else's fault. <laughs> All the suffering that we have in our lives is not for righteousness' sake. Some of it we just bring on ourselves. Whew. Sometimes I look and, you know, how could you be so stupid? How could you think that? How could you do that? I've brought quite a few bad days on myself simply because of the dumb things that I've done myself. He's saying here, but if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you see, Sometimes I'm not real happy with myself if I've done something really dumb and I'm suffering the consequences of it. That's where sometimes, if I guess if I could, I might think about turning Catholic or something so I could just flog myself a little bit and pay a little penance and be done with it. But instead, most of the time, that conviction is there and I'm saying, you know, you know you, you've learned that, you know better than that, and those things are there. But if you genuinely have done something that you know is right, and even though that others may be bringing suffering your way because of it, 
He said, don't be afraid of their terror. <laughs> don't worry about them. Matter of fact, don't even be troubled by them. But he says, do something else and said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does it mean to sanctify? It means to, to set aside the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Give him the rightful place in your heart. If you're doing what's right, which is, I know with all of our imperfections, we're trying to live godly lives. We're trying to live the life that God has given to us to live. We can be happy. We can be happy despite the fact that they're trying to bring trouble our way. He said, just don't be afraid of them. Don't let them even trouble you. Just give Jesus Christ the rightful place in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I know sometimes they're just going to think you've lost your mind. <laughs> they might think you're simple-minded. They may think, you know, that, you know, somebody's got a hold of you and brainwashed you or something, you know, weird and wonderful like that. But what the Bible is saying is that we need to be ready to explain and give an answer. Why, why do we have a hope in the midst of all of this? The same idea that we get here for giving an answer is in the original word. It's the same thing that we get our word apologetics from. Okay, and apologetics is probably one of the weakest things in today's church. People say they believe this, they say they believe that, but they have no earthly idea why. I don't know. Preacher said it. I read it in a book. The church says it. He's saying here to be ready to give an answer, to be ready, to give a reason, to explain is what it means there, to be able to explain why is it that you as a Christian have hope in the midst of all of this? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe that God saved you? Why do you believe that there's hope beyond this life? Why do you believe that no matter what comes your way, that all things work together for good to them that love God? Why do you believe these things? I hope you believe it because you've got it from this book, from the Word of God. I hope that you know well enough and simple enough what took place in your life when you gave your life and heart to the Lord Jesus Christ that you could simply and clearly explain that to somebody else. Why do we have a hope? Because my hope is established in Jesus Christ himself. It's established in the life that he's given me. And I can tell you exactly what he did because I was there. I may not know all the theological terms. I may not know, as a matter of fact, I guess in, in, in the last few weeks in, in teaching through Romans again, you know, we get a lot of those beautiful words in there like justification and sanctification and glorification and all these wonderful things that happen to us as Christians. I don't know many Christians when they get first saved that know any of those words. If they do, they don't know what they mean in Bible terms. But they know. They know that they've come to recognize as a lost sinner. They've come to recognize that there is a debt to be paid for that sin. They've come to recognize that what we sing about in a couple of those old hymns while ago so beautifully, that there was this one called Jesus, God himself in the flesh, that came and allowed himself to be nailed to that tree. 
And oh, they thought they had the victory. And we'll see some more about that here in a minute. But in the end, it wasn't them that had the victory at all. It was him that had victory over death. We know that all we could do was cry out for mercy, seek forgiveness, but that God has promised that if we'll seek that forgiveness, if we'll call out for that mercy, not because of what we're going to stop doing, not because of what we did or didn't or anything, because of that one that died on the cross for us, because of what Jesus Christ did for us, that's our only hope, but that's all the hope that we need. Christ really is all I need. Just be able. Yes, bad things are going to happen, and they're going to accuse you all kind of stuff, and they're going to think that you're weird and wonderful. The thing is, don't be afraid of them. Don't let them even trouble you. You live the right kind of life. You give Jesus Christ the rightful place in your life. You give an answer, the only place that the real answer comes from. Don't go out there before the world telling them that you're a Christian, not even knowing what happened to make you a Christian. The number of people I've met in my life, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. They have no real testimony of saving faith whatsoever. He says, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That's exactly what they had to do with Jesus Christ. <laughs> the problem is with us, I told somebody, I think it was Brother Peter I was talking to here a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, the thing is, if anybody really wants to, they don't really have to look too hard or dig too deep. They can find plenty of things to criticize me over. They can find plenty of things that are far, far, far from perfect in my life. But it amazes me. There was so much of that there. People still go around making up all this evil, awful stuff that's the farthest thing in the world from the truth. And making all of these accusations against you. Jesus didn't do anything. If they were going to accuse him of anything, they had to falsely accuse him, which they did. And he says, so, you know, when they're falsely accusing you, the best thing you can do is give an answer for the hope that's in you. <laughs> Set Jesus Christ aside and give him that rightful place in your life. Have a good conscience, a clear conscience, knowing in your heart that you're doing your best you can for the Lord, knowing that you're living right. Yes, with your imperfections. We're not trying to make you above sin, but you know the difference. You know when you are willfully sinning. You know when you're truly, genuinely trying to follow the will of God with your life and live accordingly. He says, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing and for evil doing. I got to promise you, suffering is going to come either way. He says it's far, far, far better. Even if it's false accusations, even if they're having to make it up, it's better to be right with God and to be able to get a, of an answer for the hope that's in you and let them make that crazy stuff up. It's better to suffer because you're doing something good than it is to suffer because you're doing something wrong, because you're doing something evil. You see, our hope, that's established in our great salvation, that's exemplified before others in the lives that we live, it is absolutely essential that in the midst of the suffering that we can have a good conscience 
that at least we're suffering for righteousness' sake. We're suffering for the right reasons. We're suffering because we're taking a stand for what's right instead of being evildoers. The principles of suffering. But secondly, we see here what I've called the paragon in suffering. You know what a paragon is? It's that example, isn't it? <laughs> it's that which is, which is set out there because there's something special about it that is an example for us. And we have the greatest paragon in all the world in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example of having hope in the midst of suffering. Notice what he says when he goes into verse 18. He says, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ suffered like none of us can ever imagine suffering. And the reason for that is because on the one hand, our cursed, sinful flesh that we're born with, it can never truly, fully comprehend the true holiness of God. Everything we see, everything we hear, everything we touch has been tainted by sin. But Jesus Christ, he wasn't touched by sin. Neither can we because we can't really fully perceive his holiness. We can't fully comprehend the awfulness of one sin to a holy God. We can't understand how much that one sin hurts a holy God. And yet Jesus Christ took upon him the sins of the whole world. We can try to think of the most God-awful things that our minds are able to even think of. Jesus Christ took them all upon himself. He became sin for us. He suffered like no one else. We get to feeling sorry for ourselves so many times because it's just so hard. We don't even begin. As we sang last week during Harvest Thanksgiving, <laughs> count our blessings and name them one by one. We are such a blessed people. He says, for Christ also <laughs> hath once, once for all. You know, those Old Testament saints, they had to keep bringing the sacrifices back year after year after year <laughs> because none of them were sufficient. <laughs> But Jesus died one time. We sang about that precious blood a while ago. <laughs> what can take away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood. Jesus Christ. He paid that he died once and all for sins. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. He did it for us. He went there totally guiltless, to take our guilt. Being put to death in the flesh, they thought they won, hadn't they? <laughs> we got him. But quickened by the Spirit. <laughs> oh, no. They only thought. Listen, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. What is he talking about there? Jesus? He was put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit, by which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. 
I believe there's only one of two things that is taking place here. And if you go reading all the great smart theological commentaries and all of this, you'll find that there's two primary things. Who in the world are these spirits in prison that he's preached to here? Well, one, because of other scriptures. Number one, always keep in mind, don't be so foolish as to proclaim something dogmatic that God has in himself. I know for a fact that Jesus Christ went and preached to spirits in prison. Now, I try to take God's word, and if I want to know who are those spirits, I believe it's one of two things. Either the spirits, the demons that were locked away for good because they had been so hideous in some of the things that they had done, or the spirits of those old saints that were in paradise that had not yet been set free, <laughs> that had to wait for Jesus Christ because I believe that when we look back into the book of Ephesians, I genuinely believe that here, that when the Bible talks about our Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, he says there in verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when... He ascended up on high. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. There's some today, and I mean, I, I know even some good people. I know people that I love, and I know people that we probably agree with on just about everything else, but they honestly believe that when Jesus went into those lower parts that he actually went into hell because he had to go there and somehow be punished for my sin. Folks, I just say I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. You've heard me say it many times. Hell is not the punishment for your sins. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Heaven and hell are just eternal abiding places that every living soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. All those that reap death will be in that place called hell. And all those that have life will be eternally with him in heaven. The truth, as we look into God's word, that we know for sure, Whew, Jesus went and preached to somebody during that three days. They thought he was just laying there dead in that grave. <laughs> and we know that he went into the lower parts of the earth because the Bible tells us that he did. And he set those captives free. Who did he set free down there? I believe that it was every one of those Old Testament saints that by faith, that's the only thing that had ever saved them, by faith had put their trust in the coming Messiah and he went to say, I'm here and I paid the price. Let's get out of here. The Bible says there were even graves opening up around this place. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He didn't have to go. I don't, I don't believe that Jesus Christ has ever been in a situation to where he was under the power of Satan. And I don't believe that Jesus Christ ever had to go to hell to suffer for me because the hell is a place for dead people. <laughs> Got news for you. Jesus never died. <laughs> Even when he gave up his flesh, he was alive and well. And I believe with all my heart that as he went there and preached and set those captives free, there's a possibility that when the Bible tells us here that he preached unto the spirits in prison, it could be those same ones 
where he might have went and just told those demons that had been locked up there that, hey, you just thought you had me. You thought you got me out of the way. Guess what? I just got the victory. Your day is coming. You're bound where you're going to be bound, and one day every one of you will be cast into that lake of fire to burn for eternity. Either way is fine with me. Jesus had the power to do either one. But the Bible is reminding us here that when he died and they thought he was defeated, that in fact, he was the victor. He was conquering everything that needed to be conquered for you and for me. We find that as he went there to preach, as he went there to, pardon me, to give himself to those what else does the Bible tell us? He says in verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, all the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. <laughs> some believe that's some of those same demons that, that's, you know, we live in a pretty godless, god-awful society when we look around us and see all the sin. The poor old Noah, Noah preached for 120 years. And the earth was in such a state that at the end of 120 years of preaching the truth, there were eight souls, he and his wife and his sons and their wives that got on that ark. Nobody else. Nobody believed the message. Nobody believed the truth. He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. I got news for you. He's not talking about water baptism there, folks. Water baptism never saved anybody. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, this is the baptism that takes place before that water baptism takes place. This is where there's so much confusion. This, this is spirit baptism. This is literally this is that moment in time when we put our entire faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're baptized, but nothing that man could ever do to us is something that's done by God himself. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Boy, I could preach on that verse alone, but I want to tell you two things real quick. Number one. It is Jesus Christ himself that right now, as we're sitting here this evening, he is the one that is right there on the right hand of God, and he's the one that's there speaking up for you on your behalf. And I'll tell you something else I see in that that gets me excited, and that's the fact that at the very moment that they hung him on that cross, and they thought that they had put him to death, and they thought that the victory was theirs. He was just about to be lifted to the highest place at all, and that was next to his father, right there on the throne with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's there, and that's where he's at. You know, it might be when you are at the very lowest point of your life, when you're facing the greatest suffering that you've ever come across because that's exactly what Jesus took on the cross. It may be at the point that the world and everybody around you thinks you are defeated, you're done with, there's nothing left. Whew. Maybe you're just about to be exalted to the highest place of all, right next to God in heaven, just like Jesus was. Don't be afraid of him, he says. Don't even let them trouble you. 
Remember what Jesus went through. Remember what he's doing for you now. You see, our hope, our hope is essential in the time of suffering. We see the principle in that suffering, but the paragon in that suffering is Jesus Christ himself, the one that suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God, he said. That you and I could share in that hope, releasing all of those Old Testament saints, preaching through Noah, advocating for us in heaven. That's our paragon. That's our example. And he's the only one that we ever need. I want to give you one final thing. Because it's a struggle sometimes for Christians. And that's the purpose of suffering. Preacher, why do we have to suffer sometimes? Well, <laughs> we could probably do a whole series on that, but I don't think you want to wait for it tonight. But let's look at what these few verses here tell us in chapter 4. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, <clears throat> arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. A lot of things could be said there, and you've heard me repeat this verse time and time and time again in recent times. But in Romans chapter 12, the first two verses there, we're instructed very simply not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind you got to think different. <laughs> you can't think like the world. You can't think like the lost people. You can't think the way you used to think. The Bible talks about you having the mind of Christ. The Bible talks about being transformed into something totally different by the renewing of your mind, by thinking differently, and this is the only thing that will renew your mind and transform you. He tells us right here, likewise, with the same mind. When you're facing that, suf that suffering, when you're going through that tough time, think of it the same way Jesus did. Think of it the way he did. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. We get into all kinds of things there, bottom line. You go over into to Romans, you're supposed to die to that old man. He's supposed to be dead, gone, put to death. You're alive in Jesus Christ, and you live in Jesus Christ. He's telling us here, when we're suffering, we need to do it in the way that Jesus did. We need to look at it like Jesus did. He said, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness. Big word, isn't it? Nasty word, actually. <laughs> in simple terms, when you're having a feeding frenzy with the flesh, <laughs> when you're just doing what the flesh wants, when you just live in any old way, loose living, anything that will make the flesh happy, lust. Excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. 
<laughs> I got a few of these. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. <laughs> You're a different person than when you were lost. Some of your friends aren't going to figure out, they're not going to understand what in the world has happened to you. You don't like to do anything that's fun anymore. You got such a boring life as a Christian. I mean, look at all the things we used to do, and yet now, all you want to do is sit around and read that Bible and pray. <laughs> yep. We used to feed the flesh in the same way. They may think it's strange. He goes on here to say, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge and the quick and the dead. We're going to all stand before the judge one day. I hope and pray that you're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ and not at the great white throne of judgment. It'll be too late to change judgment halls. It'll be too late to get to the other one then. Because you're not going to be there being judged on where you're going to spend eternity. You're going to be judged by the things you've done in life. But in one, it's going to be a reward for the life that you're going to spend forever with God. And the other, it's going to be because you're standing there on your own, taking your sins, yourself, to pay the debt for them. We find that... The judgment is going to take place, and there's only one judge. He said, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. I got news for you. We were all dead. <laughs> we were all dead before the gospel came and gave us life. There is no hope for life outside of the gospel. I shared with you, I think, just a few weeks ago that I stood in this very pulpit just a few months back and doing a funeral, and the one statement that I wanted to make very clear above all else that day, because we didn't know if that person had ever made a profession of faith. We knew it had a family that had shared the gospel with him. We knew it had a family that had, that had prayed for him, that had wanted him to. We knew he had a family that had told him how to be saved. And you know, the place that there is no hope is where there's no gospel. When there's the gospel, there is hope. There is always hope. That's our only hope in what Jesus Christ did for us. We don't know what a person does in their heart. The worst thing in the world is for somebody that you love, that you care about. Yes, just like we see something, man, they're going to revile against you. They're, they're going to think that you're weird and strange and all these things. But let me tell you something. The far worse thing is to see them leave this world and to know that you never shared the gospel with them, that you never gave them any hope, that they left this world without hope because you're afraid of what they might think or what they might say to you. Why? May I say to you that Christians, how can we be happy when we're suffering? When we suffer for the sake of Christ. We suffer the sake of Christ. You know, it don't even hardly compare, but I'm sure that each of you can think of somebody that you love so much. Might be your spouse, might be your mom, might be your dad, might be your child. But the truth and 
You could probably never put it in words. But if you saw that that person was going to suffer and you suffered instead for them, oh, you'd feel so good about it. <laughs> that you were able, that you were able to keep them from having to suffer. You see, when we suffer in this life, sometimes we do it for the sake of Jesus Christ. <laughs> we ought to be willing because we love him so much that if we're suffering for his sake, bring it on. <laughs> bring it on. We also suffer sometimes for the will of God, he says here. <laughs> sometimes it's God's will. Why? Well, sometimes it's a testimony to others. That's part of what we can get in these verses. Sometimes it's a testimony to others. Why? Because it's easy to smile and be happy when everything is just going smoothly. There's no problems, no troubles. But how do you handle it when everything goes wrong? <laughs> what do they see in your life when you're having the worst bad hair day that you've ever had in your life? You see, sometimes, sometimes it's our testimony before others. Sometimes what we'll speak to them is not seeing us happy and great when things are good, but seeing us happy, seeing us as a people that has a real hope, not an imagined hope, a real hope when things are really bad, when things are really tough, when we're really suffering. For Christ to be seen in us. I won't start there this evening. You know my heart's desire. Why? Why has Jesus Christ left us here? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit with all the junk that's being spewed about today? Folks, let me say simple and clear. You're here as a believer. I'm here as a believer. The Holy Spirit is here living within us that the work of Jesus Christ might be carried on on this earth. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The day, the only hope this world has today is Jesus Christ, and it's his work that needs to be carried out through us. That's why Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do because I go unto the Father. Why? Because that same Jesus living in you and working in you, accomplishing his work through you. We might be more like him. <laughs> Isn't that what he started out there saying? That we have the same mind that we think like him? Maybe. Maybe you're going through that so that on the other side, you'll be just a bit more like Jesus. Maybe you're going through it all simply for the sake of the gospel. What greater purpose could your life have? What greater purpose could it have? You know, we need to come to the point where we realize and recognize that really the, the worst thing this world can do to us is give us a quick promotion to glory. <laughs> what else can they do? Bring it all. What can they do? We don't need to be afraid of them. We don't need to have our doubts. Our hope is essential in the midst of suffering, but our hope is in Jesus Christ. He's the one that's given us the principles. He is our great paragon. He is the greatest example that we could ever have. And God has a purpose, and I promise you, that purpose is 
for your good in the long run, and it's that Jesus Christ might be glorified, that the gospel might be made clear. Whatever that costs us, it's worth it. What would you be willing, genuinely, honestly, what would you be willing to suffer for your loved one to know that they were saved and on their way to heaven? Father, we thank you this evening, Lord, because I know that, Lord, I've jumped through so much here so quick, and there's so much more that could be said. But, Father, I just pray that not what I've said, but by the power of your Spirit, you could take your word. You could help it, as we saw this morning in our passage, that that seed might find good soil in the hearts, (laughs) that it might bring forth fruit unto righteousness. Thank you, God, that we can have hope in the midst of all the sufferings of this life. We can have the greatest hope of all. That hope is established in our great salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, that great hope should be exemplified through the lives that we live. People should see that hope in us because our lives should be different, not because we're perfect, but because Jesus Christ is in us. Lord, that great hope, it is essential amidst the suffering. It's essential for us but it's essential for those around us. And I pray this evening that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to be a people that can be used of you. Help us not to be afraid of this world or what they might do to us or what they might say about us, but help us above all just to seek to be closer to you, to be more like you, to be used of you in whatever capacity that you would see fit. We'll give you the praise and the thanks for that. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.